This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by a returning guest, Brian Walker, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Bloomreach, leading the company's go-to-market strategy. Brian is a veteran strategy and marketing leader who focuses on the transformation of digital customer engagement and commerce. Prior to joining Bloomreach, Brian has held a variety of roles in the market, including leading global commerce strategy at Accenture, Chief Strategy Officer at SAP Hybris, leading commerce technology research at Forrester Research, as well as leadership positions at Amazon and Expedia. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Kiri. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, Brian, you were last on the show in February 2020, which was a lifetime ago, and it was just after NRF and before COVID took over our lives. So it, it's sort of a very fuzzy gray period for me, at it least. All feels, <laughs> it all feels like a long fever dream at this uh-huh. point, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So besides that, what's been going on in your world? Well, I mean, to be honest, we've been focused on growing and expanding the Bloomreach business. We made a key acquisition during that time, during the pandemic, which of course is very interesting, acquiring a business in Slovakia during the pandemic, which of course meant that we couldn't travel and do kind of a normal due diligence process. Uh, pleased to say that the acquisition has been a phenomenal success and you know, perhaps that was in some ways, due to having to take a very thorough process, many, many, many Zoom calls in the process. And of course, we've continued to develop our discovery and content solutions. We're now a part of the Mock Alliance. There's been a whole host of transformational changes in the Bloomreach business during that time. And on a personal basis, you know, certainly stopping travel for a couple of years there afforded me an opportunity to lean in on a couple of things that I'd wanted to get started on that, frankly, the travel schedule really kind of made challenging, like starting my own podcast and leaning in more on things like thought leadership. So yeah, like I said, though, it's funny to be back at events like recently at Etel, for example, and just seeing that we have It feels like we've almost more than returned from the pandemic. Everyone's kind of hugging it out and enjoying seeing each other in person. (laughs) And of course, everyone's flying from here to there to all kinds of meetings and events and and seeing clients. So it is kind of funny to reflect back on those few years. And for people who aren't familiar with Bloomreach, tell us a little bit about your company and also that acquisition in Slovakia. What capabilities did you acquire there? Yeah, I mean, you know, Bloomreach, we focus on commerce experience, but now extends well into marketing, which I'll get to in a second. But we provide, you know, solutions that help, you know, merchants and marketers optimize their site experience and optimize their marketing. We do that really by focusing on personalization, personalization within search and product discovery, 
within the site experience, such as content and so on, of course, and then into the marketing channels, as I mentioned, so email, SMS. And the company we acquired, Exponia, now fully a part of Bloomreach now for almost two years, provided us a very strong customer data capability, personalization, and some unique capabilities to optimize the email and SMS direct marketing channels. And that all combines to provide kind of a differentiated offering. And now we're working with clients across all three product suites and kind of tying together again the whole customer journey. You know, we like to call it, you know, from campaigns to conversion. And we tend to work with larger merchants, you know, sort of mid-market on up. Many, you know, leading brands in the market people are going to be familiar with, you know, from the grocery sector to fashion and apparel and to travel and media and entertainment. Awesome. Well, today we're going to get into a topic that I thought was really interesting when you reached out and it's about, you know, are we at peak Amazon essentially? And you've got some context here because you've both worked at Amazon in a leadership position and you've also been on the marketplace seller side and then obviously the 50,000 foot view level that you have of the industry at Bloomreach too. So you have a pretty bold opinion on something that a lot of people have probably been thinking about and that's that Amazon is not what it once was, that they're no longer customer obsessed. So tell me about that perspective. Yeah, you know, I I worked there quite a long time ago, and I was among the first, well, I worked for a business and kind of drove the project to become one of the first apparel businesses in the marketplace at Amazon. And then, you know, was a part of the business that brought merchants onto the Amazon platform, not only just the marketplace, but also running their e-commerce businesses on the Amazon technology stack. And, you know, it was a time at Amazon where there were lots of different bets being placed. There was a lot of innovation. That was the time when AWS, for example, first was launched. So it is quite some time ago. But, you know, one thing was really clear when I worked there, and that was the obsession around the customer experience and kind of the legendary flywheel, right, that probably many of your listeners have heard about, read about, thought about. And, you know, it's interesting now to look at Amazon and recognize that, you know, that mojo that they had, and in a sense, the the way in which that flywheel really spun, you know, between increasing the assortment, focusing on value and price, focusing on the customer experience all the way through to fulfillment, and of course, expanding the marketplace, which was, of course, a, a dramatic innovation at the time. That mojo, in my opinion, kind of has turned to mush. And, you know, it's really reflected in the following, you know, in the following, excuse me, customer satisfaction index scores, right? That's, of course, kind of a macro score that the American customer satisfaction index, you know, kind of reflects. And Amazon's score has now decreased to 78 out of 100, which is its worst performance since the year 2000. And I think that score kind of encapsulate. Yeah, I know. It's kind of interesting, right? What was it at its heyday? You know, that's a very good question. Off the top of my head, I don't remember, but I think it reached a peak kind of in the high 80s, if I'm not mistaken. And for years, Amazon was the leader in that index, right? And in a sense, set the bar. And there was a period of time in certainly e-commerce's evolution where everyone was chasing Amazon. Yeah. And Amazon, of course, had 
in a sense, prepared its investors for the capital and the resources it was going to pile into driving scale and driving the customer experience, which made it very difficult, certainly for other retailers to chase. And in a sense, Amazon became both respected and feared. But one thing that you couldn't really attack, in a sense, was that customer obsession and the fact that by serving the customer and exceeding, in many cases, their expectations, it was kind of hard to argue in many ways with what Amazon was doing and investing in. But now you have to look and see that you know everything from product discovery to reviews to fulfillment to customer support has really eroded. And if you just talk to your friends and neighbors or your family, you hear that right? Yeah. if you ask questions. And it's like it's been a kind of a creeping realization, I think, on the part of a lot of people that Amazon, as you said, isn't what it once was. And I think it's also interesting to now see that with the leadership change, right, Bezos stepping into the chairman role, out of day-to-day leadership, Andy Jassy being promoted now to CEO. There's also, I think, kind of a shift. And of course, Jassy, having run the AWS business very successfully for many years, you know, there's also a shift in kind of focus and priorities and a realization post-pandemic that's reflected in Amazon's, you know, now new focus on efficiency, right, with canceling a lot of these various bets, layoffs, etc. You can see that Amazon is forced to kind of retrench, and that's reflected in its, you know, financial statements and what it's telling the street. And I think, you know, when you think about well, couldn't they just get back to the focus on the customer experience that they once had? You know, there's these legendary Jeff emails. And when you worked yeah. at Amazon, you literally opened your email in fear that you might have one, right? It was like you, you checked your email many times a day, really just to make sure you didn't have one. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get the idea. And, you know, he would literally pick out emails that he'd gotten from customers or that he picked out of the customer service queue that had been escalated. And he would really go to town asking very simple questions about why we had failed that customer, right? And whether you worked directly in kind of the parts of the business operationally that affected the cus- that customer experience or not, right? There was just an understanding that that was number one. Yeah, And that's just a first principle, right? It's like everyone out there who's running a business probably operates with a similar understanding, right? That that's just how you do business, right? Whether you're in a service business or a retail business, it doesn't matter, right? But now, you know, which I wrote about in the newsletter, which I'd love for people to check out, it's kind of a long read, uh, I'll warn you. But, you know, I see that Amazon has really backed itself into a corner. They're essentially in a trap, which means that, Fixing the customer experience and getting back to those first principles is going to be a real challenge. And that's what led me to the conclusion that, yes, we've reached peak Amazon. When I say that, I'm talking specifically about the e-commerce and retail business, right? So, you know, there's a lot of other parts of the Amazon business, namely AWS. I'm not sure that we've reached peak AWS, so to speak. But AWS is among one of those traps, which we can certainly talk more about. 
Yeah, well, I've just written down a lot of notes because there's a number of really good things to dig into here. I wanted to, you said the things that people are, that Amazon's lost its edge on include things like product discovery, fulfillment, reviews, and customer support. And just for me, but as a consumer, I find myself using the Walmart app a lot more than Amazon because I'm getting things so much faster. And that's a very common complaint that I'm seeing from consumers is, hey, Amazon Prime was used to be so reliable, two-day everything, and now things are being delivered late and or you know the stated delivery time is not there. And I recall before the pandemic, Amazon was making this huge push to one-day delivery. I was concerned about that because I was wondering, well, where is that funding going to come from? It's going to be definitely funded by merchants and vendors. And and I was concerned about that. But since the pandemic, things have really actually kind of moved in the opposite direction and that the fulfillment is sort of slower than ever, as opposed to Walmart, which is now doing like a lot of deliveries that I get are actually from the store the same day. And I'll get a text saying, hey, your Walmart order is coming early. It's being delivered from the store and it will arrive in a in a bag so I can definitely see that as an example I know a lot of people are switching away from Amazon for that reason yeah absolutely I think that missing promise dates on delivery I think in a sense Amazon for a long time has been sort of a fire and forget ordering process you know you just sort of expected it and you wouldn't even double check the mm. order status or mm. anything right and oftentimes it would show up faster than you had anticipated right it was like oh yeah. it's already here and you know there was like an expectation that it would just you know automatically happen and you really didn't need to think about it or worry about it right it was also an expectation that search and product discovery right was among the best places to look for things and so of course many of your listeners will recognize that amazon in a sense dominated product search you know actually more consumers starting a product search on amazon than they do on google Now, I think many consumers, and this is, again, as I think is reflected in that consumer satisfaction score, but it's also just, again, embedded in all these stories. If you ask people now, they search for things on Amazon and it's a confusing experience. It seems really biased. There's all these sponsored ads, which is, I think, one of the key parts of the trap is the advertising business at Amazon. And so then you hear stories, too, of people who ordered things that were wrong because the search and discovery experience was confusing. And again, back to the kind of fire and forget and kind of, you know, filling needs and tasks and things from a what you needed perspective. Maybe you didn't even feel you needed to spend a lot of time validating that the product you clicked on first in a search result was even the right product, right? And then you've got merchants who kind of gamify the system with product descriptions and category listings and so on, and using the advertising platform to position their products, sometimes in places they don't belong. And that all impacts the consumer who may instinctually first say, oh, I huh, I made a mistake. I'm not sure how I made that mistake, but it sort of, you know, connects back to how they trusted and sort of perceived the Amazon shopping experience and kind of fell into habits that now kind of surprised them in the wrong way, right? 
Yeah. So it's a really interesting place that I think Amazon has gotten itself into. And as I wrote about, I think that the challenge is that unwinding that and getting back to first principles and focusing again on, you know, from a retail e-commerce perspective on delighting the customer will mean some tremendous trade-offs for Amazon and their bottom line and their revenue growth that will be very challenging decisions. And I don't expect them to make. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that all leads to the fact that not only is the retail business not very profitable at Amazon, but now they have a lot of other places that they are placing their bets. And so right. the e-commerce business, while it's not going to go away tomorrow, and you know the Prime membership is probably going to hold steady for a while, I don't see Amazon continuing to grow their market share. In fact, I see Amazon's kind of role in the market beginning to erode probably relatively quickly. It's probably already really begun. Maybe the numbers aren't really clear to those of us out kind of outside trying to observe, but certainly the game seems to be a little bit up when it comes to the e-commerce business at Amazon. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on retail media because this is one area where Amazon, in my opinion, is significantly ahead of the competition in terms of capabilities there and a lot of catch up required from other players like Walmart. So I still believe that to be true, that they have the best retail media network out there, but it's all very contingent on there being a good customer experience and for customers to keep coming back to Amazon. So they might, you know, retail, the media side of the business, in contrast, highly profitable, highly scalable, but the value prop of that retail media business is really access to the Amazon shopper, whether you're talking about sponsored products or DSP, the backbone there really is Amazon's user base. And if they can't deliver on that customer experience through things like fulfillment, product discovery, reviews, customer support that you mentioned, then they're not going to have that advantage for very long, even if they have the best sort of, you know, audience targeting capabilities and the best, you know, self-serve creative options and the best bidding system that is not worthwhile unless you have the audience to back it up you're absolutely right i think you know you need to recognize you know a couple of key things kind of even kind of before you get to that one there's no better intent signal than what somebody searches for right so amazon is in many ways in the best position. Perhaps Google is right behind them in terms of you know, positioned to help drive conversion and certainly get products in front of customers. And with the erosion of you know, kind of display advertising and social media-based advertising with iOS changes and privacy policy changes, there was kind of a shift, right? And Meta, of course, has been kind of painfully dealing with that from a business perspective. And so the ad dollars kind of had to go somewhere. So I think Amazon also benefited from that. But then intent signal, and of course, the massive amount of traffic on the Amazon marketplace really gave them a very natural position to develop and drive an ad business. I think it is kind of interesting, again, to reflect back to the early days of Amazon, where I think biasing 
search results and kind of littering them as well with sponsored placements would have been anathema. Like you just, that would not have happened then. Now, Amazon's digital ad business is among the fastest growing businesses at Amazon. It grew 19% in Q4 last year. They now have 7.3% share in the digital ad market, which is just incredible. And it's a $38 billion business, highly profitable, right? And so now Amazon has built this phenomenal engine, again, as you pointed out, capitalizing on this incredible amount of traffic that they have and the fact that they have among the best intent signals to capitalize on from an advertising perspective. And certainly if you're in charge of driving business through advertising, it's going to be, and you're in the e-commerce, retail, and, and CPG businesses, you're going to be naturally very attracted to what Amazon can do. And the KPIs you know, speak for themselves in many cases. Now though, right, that ad business is like a pair of handcuffs on Amazon when they go to try to address the customer experience. It's literally diametrically opposed mm. to providing a great, you know, search and product discovery experience for their customers on the marketplace. They could make tweaks, they could make changes, they could certainly back off, but if you're trying to grow the ad business at Amazon, what are you going to try to do? You're going to create more ad slots. You're going to create more opportunities for advertisers to get in front of customers. And so you've got among the fastest growing businesses at Amazon, you're under pressure as an overall business to drive results. The street loves the ad business. It's highly profitable. It's been growing dramatically. And as you said, Amazon leapt in front dramatically with their retail media strategy. And now, though, I think it's a big trap they've set for themselves when it comes to you know, again, back to those first principles, driving a great customer experience. And so I think that presents a very difficult choice. And I don't expect Amazon to want to back off on the digital ad business. But the more they lean in, I think the more it will impact the customer experience. And that will, to your earlier point, erode traffic, erode Amazon's place in our lives as the go-to place to find what we're looking for, right? And of course, Amazon is all built on essentially spearfishing. No one browses Amazon you know, yeah. unless they absolutely have to. It's all based on search, you know, not obviously completely, but certainly primarily. And so if the search results, right, are muddied and confusing and convoluted and putting the work on the consumer to navigate that, I think it's just natural that they're going to stop using it. And then you pair that with all the other things. I think it's kind of a nasty position that Amazon suddenly, well, it's not suddenly, right? This is, but it's sort of like a realization may feel sudden, but it's not suddenly. But Amazon finds itself kind of in this perfectly developed trap that they set for themselves. Wow, that is a really, really good argument. I think that's super interesting, this sort of circular relationship between customer experience ads if they try and grow their ads experience by default it impacts the customer experience in a negative way such a great yeah. point and i should clarify just a little bit you know i'm not saying that all retail media is bad you know obviously this is essentially a natural evolution of a long-standing business model of co-op advertising that's been around for 
decades in the brick and mortar business. You know, you pay for shelf placement and end caps and all these kinds of things. And it's part of the reason why when you walk into most grocery stores, you see national brands on the end caps versus some unique novelty product, unless you're in a very specialty type of grocery store, right? And the same is true for a lot of other retail formats out there. So I'm not suggesting as well that on the digital side, you can't have a retail media program and that it can't be a component and that you can't capitalize on the traffic that you're getting and provide your vendors, your, you know, your brands that you're bringing into your retail business or into a marketplace environment opportunities to, you know, in a sense, jump to the end cap. But I do think there is a very fine line and it does concern me when I see so many businesses almost like, you know, reaching for the life raft of retail media as a way to compensate for challenging margins and other things in their core retail marketplace business. That does concern me that everyone's like, oh, I need to do the same thing. Again, you know, Amazon did two-day shipping. I need to do two-day shipping. And Amazon's done- Or one-day shipping. (laughs) Thank God no one followed with that. (laughs) So I think it's, I'm not suggesting that all retail media or retail media programs are terrible. I think done well. You know, and when you think about, you know, laying out your site experience, et cetera, and you think about the fact that majority of that's now on mobile and other things, you've got to really be thoughtful and maybe be really clear with the customer about what's happening. The customer understands. They can appreciate why there's ads showing up in these environments, but don't make it confusing and convoluted and certainly don't bias the product discovery experience yeah. because that should be sacred. Yeah. It needs to be excellent, <laughs> you know? And if you start like, especially in a mobile environment, right? I think that's a part of the story. You know, if you're pushing a bunch of sponsored stuff to the top, that's maybe the only thing that customers really going to see. And so they may not ever get to page three. I'm exaggerating again a little bit, but you know, in the product they're actually looking for. You know, I had just like a very simple example in my own personal life. We had to replace our home computer. And so I bought a computer and I ended up wanting a longer HDMI cable to connect the monitor with. I ended up buying a, you know, not a laptop for the house, but a standalone, very modern powerful computer that, you know, but I wanted a longer HDMI cable so that I could, you know, put the things further apart and move the monitor and all that. It kind of serves as well as the home TV and this and that. And I, of course, went to Amazon and just searched very simply for a six foot, you know, HDMI cable, right? I didn't want anything that was too long and And it was just a very simple example of, I should be able to search for six foot HDMI cable five-star review, blah, blah, blah. And like be there in seconds, click, boom, done, gone. And the search results instead were like, you know, super confusing. And I almost bought like the wrong length because it showed up first. And, you know, it's like, I'm not having to like actually stop and read and think. Right. When I don't think I used to have to really do that, right? It sounds funny, but I think we're all, we probably all can empathize with what I was trying to do in the moment. And it's like, it shouldn't be hard on yeah, Amazon because you've got for me these... to complete that simple task and be done with it. Exactly. Well, and because Amazon has taught 
brands that they, you know, to show up in search, you need to, you know, over-engineer all the keywords and everything and like put things in your title. And it's like you search for something, it'll say six foot, eight foot, 12 foot, two foot, like it'll just say everything. Like, what the heck am I looking at here? I don't even know because it's just been over-engineered. That's right. And there's like, and I do think that there's another aspect of the trap that I write about in the newsletter, which I'm just going to quickly mention the newsletter so that I don't forget. Yeah. What's the name of that and how can people find that? Yeah. Well, I'm pairing my love of mixology with my industry analysis. (laughs) So the newsletter is called Cocktails, Commerce and Conversion. You can find it on Substack. They tend to be long reads, but there's a little bonus for you. In each edition of the newsletter, there is a cocktail or a mocktail love it. included. So anyway, I'd love for people to check it out. It's free. Please subscribe. I will and, add that know, to the show notes. I'm just making Thank it you. Yeah. Very much appreciate it. But you know, the second part of the trap that I wrote about was the offshore third-party marketplace seller trap. That's kind of a mouthful. But I do think that enabling you know offshore manufacturers, and I, of course, I'm saying offshore because it's not just China, but it's dominated by Chinese merchants. And I have no problem with the fact that there's now offshore manufacturers who can kind of access the American market or whatnot, kind of direct, but they're creating these sort of pseudo brands. They've become very skilled at kind of, you know, taking advantage of the gamification and all the incentives. They have more margin to play with. So piling in money into the ad programs makes perfect sense. And, you know, Amazon even, you know, has enabled, you know, with services, including freight forwarding and customs clearance and all these kind of things direct from China, kind of facilitated that in a way that made a lot of sense. And you could certainly say the consumer also benefited in some ways from this because they were getting essentially close to anyway, the same products in many cases, but saving money often. So I'm not arguing even that all those products are poorly made. But nonetheless, this really kind of turbocharged, in a sense, how marketplace sellers could leverage all the incentives and programs and ways to gamify, including product descriptions and all of these kinds of things. And now with generative AI, they even have more you know capability to do it in a way that seems super professional and exactly what the customer expects. And that's really amplified the problem. There are, of course, many cases where those products now don't get delivered on time. Obviously, the pandemic had a big hit here, so they may not be arriving on time. The quality issues in some cases have been an issue, but it's, again, a part of the trap because you know now, of course, as everyone's probably very well aware, the marketplace sellers account for six out of 10 products sold on amazon.com, right? 60%. And much of that is coming from offshore. And so it all kind of combines in a way, right? So, you know, Amazon's making a healthy margin on the marketplace sales. Then it gets padded with all these additional services that these third-party merchants buy that enables them to surface higher in the search results as well. So ads, fulfillment by Amazon, et cetera. And it just kind of becomes this circular trap. I keep using that word, but I don't think there's a better word for it. It kind of combines. So I'm not saying again, that the marketplace is bad or that enabling you know third-party merchants to list on marketplaces is bad, or even that Amazon has facilitated 
and taking a lot of the friction out of these sellers, you know, selling direct to the customer through Amazon. I don't know that that's all in, you know, bad, but it combines to create sort of a perverse environment that ultimately I think is having a negative impact on the customer experience. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, Brian, we're at time. I would love to give it another shout out for your newsletter, Cocktails, Commerce and Conversion. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you just, I just did a Google search for that and found it right away. So that's a great follow. And how else can people follow along with your thinking? Yeah, I also have a podcast of my own, Commerce Experience. You can find that on pretty much any of the major podcast platforms, or you can go to bloomreach.com and find the podcast there as well. And there I'm talking with kind of industry leaders from around the market, you know, certainly, you know, retailers and brands, but also services providers, SIs and agencies, as well as other tech leaders. So lots of interesting conversations. I also do a few episodes sprinkled in there that are just kind of me kind of talking about some of my thoughts on things like this. I should say that the newsletter edition that covers this Amazon topic, there's a couple of aspects that we just didn't have time to cover, and I'd love for people to check it out. I talk more about the private label programs and politics and antitrust. I talk about AWS and the war for talent. I think those are all combined to mean that Amazon has really set itself up, again, looking at the retail business for a bit of a reckoning. The retail business, of course, is an engine that enables Amazon to do a lot of other things like its fulfillment network, like AWS in many ways. And certainly now they're expanding into other industry verticals like healthcare and other things that the Amazon retail business and certainly all the capabilities that they built out to dominate e-commerce now I think are really threatened. And I think that's, you know, I'd love for people to check it out. And thank you so much again, Kiri, for having me on. Yeah, this has been great. I'm buried way, way back in the archives of your show. I think I came on as a You are. That's right. Indeed. (laughs) I think you were actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, kind of maybe amongst the first 10 guests that I had on. Yeah, I don't recommend going back that far because things have changed. (laughs) Things have changed a little bit. If I find anyone's been going that far back, I might have to block you. (laughs) It's been great to have you on the show, Brian. I love talking about this stuff and uh, we'll be back in touch again soon, I'm sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kiri. Be well.